is the Everyday Dietitians Podcast. I'm Hope Brandt. And I'm April Roby. We're two RDs here to offer down-to-earth advice to help you develop sustainable habits, decipher wellness trends, and design an aligned life. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome to episode nine of the Everyday Dietitians. And I'm <laughs> going to say this every week. Can't believe we're on episode nine. <laughs> we're on episode nine. We have also had a set change. We are in April's closet this morning, <laughs> which is, it's a different feel, but you know, it's cool to change it up a little bit. It is. Her closet has actual windows. So we're not like in a yeah. dungeon. <laughs> so it's a decent change. But if it sounds different, it's because we have switched closets. We also have two weenie dogs in the closet. So with if us. you hear any kind of or barking, <laughs> it's definitely because they decided to go psycho and cannot handle when. All the tension is not on them. Yeah. I did have one in my lap until uh, like five seconds ago. They both decided to sit on April. So I feel a little bit slighted at the moment, well, honestly. You should because it just means you didn't give them enough attention. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to talk about controlling our blood sugar concerns for developing type 2 diabetes, how type 1 and type 2 differ. So this is kind of all about diabetes, but not so much like the medical terminology or like super sciencey stuff. It's really kind of more about lifestyle factors to be aware of mm -hmm. in order to make sure that you are doing all the things you can to be living the healthiest life that you can for the longest that you can. And honestly, this advice is going to be helpful for anyone, even if you don't have diabetes or... Um, or you or don't anything, have a concern with developing concern. it or anything. Again, practical yeah. um, application. And then also it helps clears up some misconceptions about carbohydrate intake while having diabetes. So if you're interested in how carbs play a role in blood sugar and if you should mm -hmm. be scared of carbs, great episode to listen to. And we'll also... We have questions that came through our DM, so we're going to answer those in the at the end as well. Yeah, yeah. So, as usual, before we get into the meat of the episode, let's do our icebreaker question. Today, the icebreaker question is, what is your biggest pet peeve? Okay, April, go. <laughs> it's I had to pick something that literally will bother me every single day, and it's, be, it's like a family-given pet peeve something my brother has regularly choke slammed me for. <laughs> and then I picked it up as well. It's chewing noises or smacking. Like, Oh I my gosh. Will, like, I try not to let it show, but if anyone's making like a weird chewing noise or smacking, you'll, most people don't even notice. I'll put it in my headphones or I'll leave the room. I and can't then, believe we're friends, honestly, if that's your bad piece. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I have multiple friends who've told me I'm the loudest eater of all time. <laughs> I'm just not going to comment on that. We're just going to move <laughs> forward from that. But it's, I think it happened because like my dad would have the worst death stare every time I did something. So I've learned how to like be like really quiet when I chew. And then I think it caused me to be conscious of it. Of, yeah. And then my brother as well. Like if you look at me and my brother and in the room and there's someone chewing loudly, we'll make eye contact and we're just like, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that I can't do that. So, um, I wish it wasn't a thing just because like chewing noises are inevitable and everyone does it, even if they're not necessarily smacking. It's just a weird, or it's like the dog licking itself too. Like any of those noises oh. just make me so mad. Like any of that. Yeah. And it's, it's awful because I know I make those chewing noises too, but it doesn't bother me because I can't like hear them <laughs> in the same way. Your own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I agree with the pet licking <laughs> thing. That is obnoxious. As, and like, it's always at the most inopportune time. Like you're just drifting off into a nap or <laughs> it's something. Like, and it's like, <laughs> yes. And then you want to rage out on them yeah. and they're just like literally cleaning I, themselves. They're just being an animal. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> yeah. So that's mine. What is yours? <laughs> my number one pet peeve. And I bet my husband is going to laugh at me because I have quite a few pet peeves and he's always like, okay, not everything can be a pet peeve. Um, but yeah, yes, it can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have very multifaceted pet peeves. Thank you. The biggest one that will always probably annoy me the most is when technology doesn't work. I've it doesn't witnessed matter what it is. <laughs> 
but it is like, I don't know what it is about it that triggers the rage, but it is like a inferno inside of me. And I just like, nothing makes me more mad than when something is like supposed to be making your life easier. And then it just creates an abundance of complications. It it just, I have seen this several times, so I can (laughs) vouch for this and it, but you're right though. It's like you're, your life is supposed to be easier, but it's literally a roadblock into you getting your to-do list done. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's, sometimes it's something that could be fixed in like literally five seconds. But the inconvenience. Yes. Just the, the <laughs> fact that you're doing this to me at this moment and that you shouldn't be, or maybe I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yes. Mad. Instantly Mad. triggered. <laughs> um, okay. So let's go ahead and get into get the, into yeah get into the today's main topic you you're avoiding saying the meat of the show aren't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay let's get into the meat of the show all right so i guess let's just kind of start out with um some issues that arise from dysregulation of our blood sugar how these things present and what that looks like so obviously the The huge issues that come from this are going to be diabetes. And there are two different types of diabetes. We're going to mostly be talking about type 2 throughout the rest of this show because that is the type that can be more controlled by lifestyle factors. And prevented by lifestyle factors. Yes. But I feel like there's just a lot of misconceptions and diabetes is lumped all together when there's actual several different types. You have your type one, type two, and Mm -hmm. you have gestational, which we don't have to dive into that today. But type one, I feel like everyone, their immediate response is to cut out carbs. That's all you got to do. But I guess- Or, and that's what a lot of people think people just should do mm -hmm. for managing Just do low carb, just do keto. And it's- Yeah. mm. And I have have a story about this that I'll tell later. (laughs) But But let's go to the definition. What is the difference between type one and type two diabetes and why- I mean, they can't even really be compared in a way. Yeah. So, I mean, the first huge difference is that someone is born with type 1 diabetes or the propensity to develop type Mm -hmm. 1 diabetes very early in life. Type 2 diabetes is developed over your lifespan. Mm -hmm. So that is the first big difference. Um, Type 1 all comes down to genetic factors and the inability to produce insulin Mm -hmm. so it's not like you are producing insulin it's the fact that you can't produce it because of your pancreatic cells just being destroyed or destructed and you're born with that and over time um that can be an issue so you usually need insulin you're usually insulin dependent you usually see people with insulin pumps and then with type 2 diabetes you don't see that as much it can happen but um type 2 diabetes you have destroyed your um, cells over time. It's not like you're born with pancreatic cell dysfunction. You're destroying your beta cells, which is something that happens with poor glucose management Mm -hmm. and then lack of physical activity. So those are the differences there. And both are not solved with the quote-unquote simple just cut out carbs. Yeah, right. (laughs) So for type 1, that is extremely wrong. And potentially deadly. Yes. And legitimately. So yeah, with type one, you need to manage it with an outside insulin source. You are regulating the insulin that your body produces. You're usually having to calculate it. Like you, you're not, you Mm -hmm. don't need to avoid carbs, but you just need to make sure your insulin ratios that you're pumping is going to actually allow for those carbs to get into your bloodstream. I mean, into your cell versus, um, you know, type 2 diabetes, um, we need to be already controlling your blood sugar so it doesn't just stay in your bloodstream. But let's move on. What are some risk factors of type 2 diabetes? How does this develop? Mm -hmm. So there are some genetic factors that play into development of most diseases, honestly. So again, that's one of those things that's not inside of our control. But With type 2 specifically, there are many lifestyle factors that have a huge role to play in either managing your blood sugar properly or getting to the point where there could be some potential issues and, you know, you could be in that pre-diabetic range. So 
some of the risk factors of type 2. Having excessive body fat or obesity, being older in age, your race, ethnicity, having pre-diabetes, obviously, would be a precursor (laughs) to having diabetes, and environmental factors, genetic factors, yeah, and then some races and ethnicities are more prone to it as well. Mm-hmm. So, and then also the another like big lifestyle factor is the intake of excessive calories or your lack of physical activity can also increase your risk for developing diabetes. Right. So, uh, big things that we can look at to be able to manage our lifestyle and be able to manage or lower the risk of having these issues later. We're going to be looking at our intake and our activity because those are two of the things that are going to be within our control for the most part, barring any type of environmental factor that may prevent access to higher quality foods or that may not be conducive to being able to prioritize exercise or movement. And yeah, that is the case for some people. Yes, and environment mm-hmm. is huge. Like if you obviously um, are in a born in an environment where like the school systems aren't as good, you're in a poor environment, um, that's going to make it harder to, you know, manage those things. And so environment plays a big role in your ability to obviously control things like your lifestyle factors. Mm-hmm. And um, sadly, that's no one's fault. I'm sure it's someone's fault. I'm really yeah. honest, but it's not your fault. That, <laughs> but not the person's. Yes individual right there's a lot of things that play into yeah what your kind of environment yeah exactly so with that being said let's assume that we are in an environment where we then do have the power to control Mm -hmm. our intake our food intake and And our our physical activity. activity these are two huge things that you know help either manage blood sugar in a good way or can be mismanaged to the point of developing pre-diabetes or diabetes. So, and how you're diagnosed with diabetes is your A1C, which pretty much just means your blood sugar over time, over a three-month span. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also your, just your fasting blood glucose. So um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because she actually has a study that's cool. So as long as you know A1C is, um, you'll understand the study a little bit better. So um, how you diagnose diabetes is having an A1C higher than 6.5, which just pretty much means you have really high blood sugar over a long period of time. So when people go in and get like these blood sugar tests done and they're like, I just had a high carb meal, like that doesn't affect your A1C. Mm-hmm. It um, shows over time. So when you're doing these blood glucose tests. Well, and the they'll A1C, have you fast beforehand yes, too. Exactly. So you're... Even if you had a meal like that night before, like it's not going to cause your A1C to mm-hmm. rise. It's over time. Right. Yeah. So that being said, like to have diabetes, you would have to have prolonged high blood glucose and then um, just high fasting blood sugar as well. So mm-hmm. the study she's bringing up is really cool because it directly shows on one way you can manage and help out your blood sugar levels over time. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this study deals with your A1C. So it found that people with type 2 diabetes, with every 2,600 steps of walking each day, so every additional 2,600 steps was associated with a 0.2% lower A1C. So for reference, that is or that amount of steps would be a little bit over a mile or about 20 minutes of walking per day. Just at a normal pace per day. Yeah. And so 0.2 can sound like insignificant. Insignificant, but over time, it is not insignificant at all. And, you know, when a normal A1C range is 5.7, mm-hmm. you know, then 0.2 of that yeah. is a like a significant part of either being able to reduce or, you know, have it (laughs) being raised by that much over time, which would be an issue. The whole takeaway from this is that some kind of movement, even as simple as walking right in the like good 
I guess you're moving towards a more active lifestyle. If it's just walking can make a difference. It doesn't yes. have, you don't have to start working out six times a week, hours a day, simply by adding a 20 minute walk to your day can help you manage your blood sugars and get you in a better spot um, with your diabetes. So it doesn't have to be this huge overhaul. It can be simple as a walk that can help you out and manage mm-hmm. it. So I think that was really cool. Yeah. Well, and just important for making sure that I mean, even if you don't have prediabetes or you're not at risk Mm -hmm. for developing that based on, you know, other lifestyle factors that would influence that. Walking is fantastic and so (laughs) underrated. Um, And it just, it has so many other health benefits, but this is one that is specifically documented. So pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. Because, yeah, like you were saying, it's just, it's underrated. Yes. So if there's one thing you can do just to live a little healthier lifestyle, it's just moving your body, finding time to walk. If this is that place you can start, that would be great. You can be walking around your house a little bit. You can uh, make it a point to move around your house, doing laundry at night. Just anything like some kind of movement would be just helpful and either in prevention or um, managing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and it doesn't have to be all at once. Exactly. So it can be, you know, four or five minute movement walks through the day. Yeah. Yep. So, um, when to talk about, I guess, just go ahead and dive into like the misconception that carbs need to be completely cut out. And honestly, I think we should start with your story oh, from yeah. undergrad <laughs> and then go into why, you know, simply just saying cutting out carbs is the answer to exactly. That, you know? Um, so no, I vividly remember, I think I was in my MNT, my Medical Nutrition Therapy. Medical Nutrition Therapy 1 class. And we were talking about managing type 2 diabetes. And just to paint the picture, our instructor, she literally specializes in diabetes. (laughs) And she (laughs) is, a, I think, like probably a certified diabetes diabetes educator. educator, Yes. Yeah. So, um, but Hope, me, um, I'm coming in. I'm like at the very peak of the like... Dunning Kruger. I know everything effect effect. chart. Yeah. So I'm like at the first initial peak before I take the dive into, I don't actually know anything, but no, I'm sitting right at the top. So at this point, and we're talking about managing type 2 diabetes, and I've raised my hand and I was like, well, I mean, so if these, if people who have type 2 diabetes are insulin resistant and they, you know, can't manage their carbohydrate intake, then why don't we just recommend that they don't eat carbs? Like, wouldn't it make sense that we just take that problem out of the equation and they just eat low carb? Which honestly isn't like a horrible thought process. Right. So, I mean, it has, it it has some logic if you are just If you're not spiking your blood sugars at all, if you're not eating carbs and not spiking your blood sugar, wouldn't that work? And it's like, yeah. So you're thinking, okay, maybe that would work. Um, It's just that simple. Yeah. My professor was super gracious and nice. And her only response to me was that, you know, as a dietitian, we don't recommend eliminating any one food group. You know, we want to make sure that people are able to keep all three macronutrients in their diet. And I sat back and I was like, yeah, well, you know, classic response from all these people (laughs) who like preach the standard American diet and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, in retrospect, I have to cringe at myself every time I think of this moment. (laughs) Because diabetes isn't caused by just eating carbs. It's an excessive, you know, an amount of you know, keeping your blood sugar rise. And you don't get that by eating just normal carb amounts, like, or just normal food amounts and healthy carbs. Like, no, I hate to say it, but if you're eating like high quality carbs, you're eating um, fruits, veggies, whole grains, like in a normal calorie amount, like I don't know anyone who has gotten diabetes just by eating high quality carbohydrates Mm -hmm. and um, eating a normal amount. Right. Um, So it's not cause, I mean... The whole, the answer should not be just cut it out. It's more of, yeah, how can so, you manage, you can blo- manage your blood glucose right. with carbs and that should be the focus, not cutting it out. You need to, yeah, it's going to be very helpful. So yeah, that approach for me was just a kind of a like shallow response that was just kind of lacking a little bit more perspective mm-hmm. because like, sure, you could just avoid the quote unquote problem forever. But 
actually you really you couldn't avoid that problem forever no. because inevitably because with life. yeah like <laughs> with like preaching restriction like that or eliminating an entire food group that's just it's not doable and then even say it if somehow was doable you're a perfect person and you you cannot touch a car for yeah. the rest of your life and be just fine then let's think about what type of mental environment you're gonna have around approaching nutrition um it's probably producing a very real and vivid fear of carbohydrate intake which is not necessary and not something that would be conducive to having the most healthful mental approach around food. So it sounds like it could work and it's not. And it, I mean, it does like mm -hmm. there's people who do keto diets, low carb diets all the time and manage yeah. the blood sugar. But at the same time, the, what we're saying is like, you don't have to cut out carbs to manage your blood sugar. You can pick high quality carbs, eat yes. normal amounts of carbs and manage your type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just come down to cutting out carbs, especially if you want long-term success and not having those fears. Like no one wants to go somewhere and like literally being scared of eating a dinner roll yeah. or even being scared of eating quality carbs like oats, potatoes. Mm -hmm. So I guess we should just talk about what then does stabilize blood sugar and why do we not need to cut out carbs to do that? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I let's backtrack and then, and talk about what doesn't and how it's this is type 2 diabetes is or high blood sugar insulin resistance how these things are developed over time because it is pretty severe but it's also very much within our control when we're looking at our intake and yeah. our movement say, right i think we uh, read like it's five to ten years like before it actually like you have that really elevated A1C. So like yes. there's a long time to intervene before it gets to actual yes. diabetes. And that's usually when it, like the pre-diabetes state. So you can intervene and you yeah. can backtrack. So what, so yeah, this is important for if you have concerns with this or you know somebody who has concerns with this. So yeah, once you reach that pre-diabetes point, you have time to start assessing and revising your actions to be able to make a really, really big impact in your future health. Um, so this is how uh, type 2 diabetes happens. It happens from excessive intake on a consistent basis of sugar, basically. And typically it's very processed sugar because those are the things that are going to cause the biggest blood sugar spikes. That's because the more processed an item is, the less work your body has to do to then digest and process it. So if you are having a very processed source of carbohydrate, the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is soda because it, it's already liquid. It's already super processed. So it basically goes into your mouth and bloodstream. into your bloodstream. So this can cause a very high and quick rise in your blood sugar. Now, occasionally, that's totally fine because your One body- soda, even yeah. like, oh, like once or twice a week is not just going to throw you in mm -hmm. like- Obviously, yeah, because your body, blood sugar. your well, body's going to process it. Yeah, it can process it. Down. It will have time to then take the but excess sugar. If and you drink bring soda it. every single meal, every single day, along with high fatty foods, you're literally keeping that blood sugar spike yes. all so, day, not giving it time to come down. And then mm -hmm. also with other high processed foods, you have that high saturated fat content, yep. which also makes your cells unhealthy where you can't get blood sugar in it. So it's like a double-edged sword and you're yeah. consistently pretty much beating up your cells to where like they can't function anymore. Yes. Well, and so this is why processed foods <laughs> are one of the main culprits here. And it's not because all processed foods are terrible and we need to come out at forever and or cut out, you know, them all and are or avoid them all. Right. It's, it's all about context and frequency, which exactly. I feel like we say every episode. But again, if we are talking about someone who's on the road to developing pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes, this is happening 
frequently and not just on a daily basis, but on a multiple times a day basis. Mm -hmm. Like, so once your blood sugar spikes initially, if it's not given time and a appropriate balance to be able to come back down to the normal range, it will just continue to rise from that point. So you're just creating a new minimum threshold, basically, of your blood sugar every time (laughs) you continue to eat more and more super high sugar things. So your blood sugar, it may drop a little bit, but then it just continues to rise and rise and rise to the point where it gets out of a healthful range. This is when your body starts developing issues like... That's when it comes to inflammatory um, resistance, inflammation, yes. And hardening of your cells a lot of times because things that are highly processed and have sugar in them typically also have saturated fat or inflammatory fats Mm -hmm. in them. And those fats affect our cells also. So, and then with those highly processed foods and the saturated fat, it's going to harden your cells to where it makes it even harder um, for insulin to open up the cell and allow blood glucose. So it's not just a carb issue. It's not even just like a highly processed carb issue. It's the combination of, you know, highly palatable, hyper processed foods all the time. So the answer to like just going keto can't, and especially if it's like a lazy American keto like they do, or it's like bacon, (laughs) cheese and all that kind of stuff. Like it's not (laughs) going to be helpful because guess what? Saturated fat is also not helpful for your cells. It's inflammatory does not help. So pretty much what causes it is just over time, always keeping your blood sugars up high, eating mm-hmm. high saturated fat content and creating a really unhealthy environment for your cells. So now let's move into, I guess, the lifestyle strategies to help you prevent and manage. And so number one is finding movement that you enjoy. Obviously moving helps process those blood sugars. It helps mm-hmm spend that energy. So finding something that you enjoy to move that body, um, to use some of that energy and then help with cardiovascular health and things like that. Yeah. So I think also, so I was, I was talking to a group of people earlier this week and we were talking about pre and post workout nutrition. And so I was talking about, of course, eating carbohydrates beforehand to optimize our performance. And there was a person who had some concern over, you know, eating carbohydrates either before or after their workout because they were concerned about, you know, possibly carb loading and the effect that that would have on their blood sugar. And, you know, they had a genetic propensity to develop diabetes. So they were Um, scared that those carbs were going to lead them in a direction that could cause a negative effect. So... What I ended up saying was that around your workout is really an optimal time to have carbohydrates. And when we're talking about, you know, maybe 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrate beforehand, and then, you know, 20 or 30 grams of carbohydrate after, that's, you know, about 60 grams of carbs, which is, I mean, it's not high. It's it's very moderate. A very moderate amount. So like high carbs, I imagine like 400, 500, 600 grams. Like people yes. like drinking sodas like is 70 grams, 60, 70 grams of carbs. I think <laughs> of that several times a day on top of your food intake. These Some people like easily get 500 grams of carbs yes. a day and be simple sugars. So yeah. eating a normal amount, like two, 300, some people, you know, 350 a day, depending on you. Your size, your activity yes. level, what type of activity? 20 to 30 grams of carbs before after is just enough to pretty much fill your workout and recover right. from your workout. It's And especially that your brain needs 130 grams of glucose a day for you just to let your brain function. Think that you're going to need additional just for moving and then yeah. also exercising. So Yeah, so your your workouts are powered by the either the the glucose in your bloodstream first. And then once all that is used up, your body pulls stored carbohydrates from your muscles and or from your liver. And that is glycogen. So the stored carb is glycogen. Your body breaks it down and sends that into your bloodstream to be used for energy. That's why timing carbohydrates around your workouts is really smart because that 
carbohydrate source is going to be used as you work out. And then after you work out, your muscles are looking to replenish that energy storage. So they're going to hoard the carbohydrates that you take in post-workout. So you're ready for your next workout. Exactly. So it's not unhealthy to eat those carbs and it's not unhealthy to have carbs stored in your glycogen. It's very helpful. Again, the issue arises is when you eat so much where it's just in your bloodstream. Right. So your your glycogen stores fill up, right? They're not like an unlimited storage space. So when that happens, then it either stays in your bloodstream because there's nowhere else to put it and it gets stored as fat. Which is not as efficient energy source. It mm -hmm. takes, it's really hard to pull from fat. You usually have to be in a calorie deficit and your all your glycogen stores have to be close to empty and yep. then it starts pulling from your fat store. So that's not a really good source of quick energy. So <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially if you're looking to optimize your workouts. Now, right. not everyone, you know, is really cares, right? Yeah. Like I don't really care what my performance of my workout is. The point is to just go and make sure I'm moving, make sure right. I'm, you know, and continuing to pro- progress at a Basically and that you're rate. pretty much recovering from it and mm-hmm. getting enough energy for the next day. So, yeah. So, pretty much the gist of that was saying, like, don't you don't have to fear the carbs and having carbs before and after your workout is actually beneficial. And again, like, you it's don't have about- to be scared about getting diabetes from eating some carbs. It yes. does not happen that way. Of course, you can read back to the episode that we just preached on why that's not an issue. So, right. It's all about a the context and the frequency over a long period of time. And then also, yeah, the overall ratio that carbohydrates kind of make up in your diet. So let's talk about like some appropriate ratios and what we recommend. And this is for anybody. (laughs) This isn't specifically for people, again, who are pre-diabetic or have, you know, concerns about developing diabetes. These are ratios that promote general health. health. So we go, we talked about this in previous episodes, like what makes up a balanced diet Mm -hmm. and um, why it's important to have a balance of your macronutrients. So it's important um, in health. Obviously you don't want all your calories coming from fats. You don't want all your calories coming from carbs. You don't even want all your calories coming from protein. You need to have those mixtures because each one is essential for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So typically I think the RDA is like super low. It's like, it recommends like 10 to like 20% of protein. And I, I'm mainly looking at the 10% um, protein for being low. As being low. Yeah. yeah. So um, typically just from a health standpoint, having protein higher is just beneficial from just muscle mass standpoint, mm-hmm. from a satiety standpoint, from a recovery standpoint, performance standpoint. So I usually recommend my clients anywhere from 20 to 30% of their diet coming from protein. The only same. Yeah. So I don't necessarily like, I think I saw someone post like, you don't necessarily need one gram per pound of body weight. Cause like if someone that, that right. can be really excessive. So like, usually like you got to make sure like the protein amount is doable for you. And then also is going to be, um, well, doable, healthy for yeah, you. And appropriate because Could you imagine like if right. someone was starting their journey and then they find out that they have have to eat 300 grams of protein based on their body weight. Right. Awful. Like, and completely not necessary. And that's why I like the percentages too, because it kind of prevents that. And then you can also wiggle room it like, and make it something that's doable. And a lot of it also, yeah. And, or in a different scenario, think of a, you know, six, four professional athlete who is, having a very strenuous exercise regimen, they probably have a lesser percentage that would be needed for protein because they need need those carbs carbs to fuel their workout. So they're not getting low protein, but they just have such high energy needs that a lesser ratio is going to be taken up by that protein because they need so many extra carbohydrates. So there are like caveats and different scenarios for all of these things. But um, the general recommendation, I mean, having a good amount of protein, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30% is going to be beneficial for yeah. you in health. Well, and, and I think this is one of the questions that you got too, where they were asking, like, is it more important to look at your percentages yes. or your grams? 
it's like both. <laughs> so you want to make sure like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you can, you kind of need to use both in a way you want to make sure like you can start with the percentage, but if it looks a little low, looks a little high, you can like play with it. Well, and typically, and I think 20 that, to 30% usually will yeah, get you where you need to be. And I base the numbers or the targets that I give my clients off of the percentage of their diet mm-hmm. that I'm looking for to be taken up by whatever macronutrient that is. Yep. So a lot of times it's kind of one in the same where it's like, do I need to be aiming for 30% of my intake or 140 grams of protein? It's like, it's well, like the same thing. The yeah, yeah. they're the same. <laughs> so, so if you set your calorie intake at, you know, in a slight deficit, say like your maintenance calories is 2,500. So you decide to do 2,000 and you let it and you put your percentage at 20 to 30% protein, you're going to be good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can just be like, okay, well, I'm going to set it as 1.5 per kilogram of body weight. And it's probably going to fall in that percentage too. So then also, once you set like your deficit, say at 2000 calories, and you know, it's at 20, 30% protein, typically the next step is actually most of your next step is the recommendation that most of your diet comes from carbs because it's the most readily available energy source. Mm -hmm. It's your fruits, it's your veggies. It's what's going to power you throughout your day. And then, so that's, I think it's recommendations anywhere from 40 to 65%, 65% is more athletes. I don't think anyone needs to be eating like 65% if you're just- For sure, yeah. But I mean, that's a great point. Again, more, it depends on you as an individual and what you're doing. But yes, exactly. For gin population, normal- health. I mean, 40, any 40 to 50% probably. And then fat is also anywhere from 20 to 30%. And some of that can be preference. So like if someone really does prefer like, um, eating more high quality fat sources like salmon, avocados, it's okay to lower your carbs and then heighten your fats a little yeah. bit. Um, it's okay to heighten your carbs and lower your fats a little bit, as long as you're within those like minimal healthy percentage ranges. For sure. So, well, and uh, yeah, like you were saying, it completely depends on taste. David, my husband, he always goes higher fat and that's just where mm-hmm. he gravitates. And um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. especially when you're choosing high quality fats, especially when your calories are in a normal amount and say yeah. you do gravitate towards higher fat and moderate carb, not the end of the world. Preference is fine as long as, you know, it's literally not probably bacon, cheese, like super high saturated right. <laughs> fat all the time. It's probably not the best thing, but quality, just like you want quality carbs, quality fat. So yeah, it is a preference. And I have some clients that their carb percentages are like 35 to 40%. Mm-hmm. And then their fats are higher because they literally, they enjoy eating like salmon, avocado, and they like adding olive oil to their salad dressings. And it's not going to well, be, you and know, that things could like also that. be appropriate for people who are having trouble hitting their calorie yes. number. I find a lot of people that are like, ah, you know, I, I go changed, over on my fat, but I can't yeah, hit my carbs. I've changed the way that I that I eat, and now you know I I am having trouble eating enough food to hit the minimum calorie mark that and you've fat, given me. I mean, usually it's a lot easier to hit your calories with because it is a lot more calorically dense, right. being nine <laughs> calories per gram. So you can do a handful of nuts versus like a sweet potato or like or apple, like or something two like apples, that. two entire apples, two entire yeah. apples, or like a small. <laughs> you know, handful of nuts, um, someone might be able to hit their calories better, especially like those who don't have much of an appetite. I will literally will say, add a handful of nuts to your breakfast, add avocado, add peanut butter. That's going to help you get to your calorie needs versus like someone who's already stuffed saying, eat some oatmeal and an apple that's super filling and Mm -hmm. high volume. It's not going to be beneficial to them actually hitting their calorie goals. So yes, there's, as usual, it depends. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and again, and I know we've talked about the several other episodes, but the most important thing when you're looking at your ratios is making sure that you are hitting that protein minimum. Mm -hmm. And then your other energy yielding macronutrients can kind of be whatever works for you as long as uh, you're hitting your minimum fiber intake. Exactly. Which is why carbohydrates still continue to be a necessary part of your diet. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And if you have a day where like you don't hit that say 130 grams of carbs, it's not like your brain's going to just like <laughs> shut down. Like you're, it can pull energy from fat right. from your store. And so it's like, it's okay for those nutrients to differ each and every day. And I think honestly, people knowing that and they don't think they have to eat a specific carbon fabric day, it take, took a lot of pressure off a lot of my clients. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's kind of like what I like to do in my off seasons too, is like, if I have a day where I 
happen to eat higher fat and know that a lower carb is going to be fine, it's good. And then if I have a day where I'm just happen to be going crazy on the fruit and the carbs, and it's okay that, you know, my energy falls a little bit different. But yeah, so the main point of this is saying is like, answer the question, does the macronutrients percentages matter or the grams? Just make sure you're hitting your minimum 20 to 30% of your protein or your minimum gram of protein. Make sure you're getting adequate fiber for good digestion for your nutrients. And then also make sure you're within your calorie range and it's okay for your fats and carbs to differ a little bit each day as long as you're getting adequate protein and throughout the week and good carbs and fats throughout your just zooming way out just right. in general. Even if you have a day where you don't hit your protein or say you only get like 40 grams of protein, still not the end of the world. It's, you know, that happens every once in a while. It's really about your overall week. Obviously, I'm not going to say do that yeah. <laughs> every single day. But like if that were to happen, like you're not a failure. It really is just about um, making yeah. sure you're getting enough. Well, and so week. back to bringing it into the context of being able to create these ratios to promote proper blood sugar regulation. I think giving a rank, like around 200 carbohydrates, grams of carbs a day is, I mean, completely adequate for most people as, mm-hmm. or most women for being able to support their energy needs and be within like a pretty normal range. Normal range. And then some things that also you can take consideration. I know a lot of people bring up like glycemic index or mm-hmm. um, glycemic load. So your glycemic index is how a carb has the ability or not even just a carb, but it's usually used in the context of carbs, like how mm-hmm. the ability to increase your blood sugar. So if you're someone who has prediabetes or is a diabetic, like you obviously want to maybe pay attention to how fast things yeah, rise. It's so. all about the speed and the height yeah. of that blood sugar And some spike, things that have lower glycemic index is fibrous foods. So if, again, mm-hmm. if you're hitting that fiber mark, you're more likely to balance out your blood sugar. Um, so if you're just including fruits, veggies, whole grains throughout your day, you're having that fiber that kind of makes sure you don't have a huge blood spike. So um, protein helps with blood sugar regulation. Um, fiber helps. Um, a good fat source as well because it's slow digestion. So like making sure you're just not eating like a bagel for a snack. You know, you're pairing it with a peanut butter. So it takes a little bit longer to get in your bloodstream. So just making sure you're pairing your snacks. Like I like Hope's framework, like two max snack um, that can help also regulate your blood sugar, yeah. making sure you're not just eating just a protein or just a fat or just a carb, mainly like just a carb, because then it will spike your blood sugar um, and probably not leave you very full. Yeah. So just pairing your snacks, pretty much building balanced meals yeah. and eating your protein ratios, you're usually going to be yeah. good to go. Well, and I love you pointed that out. And that's exactly right. Your carbohydrates are going to be the most important thing to pair with. Again, like, she's saying it's, you know, you're not going to develop pre-diabetes if you have one snack that is just just a straight carb. I mean, you're fine. Again, it's all about the impact of those actions over a very, I mean, an extensive period of time. Um, And it's like, if it's a banana, like, obviously you're not just going to like spike your blood sugar into oblivion. Like it's just going to like spike up and go back down, but you're probably not going to be very full and you're probably going to be more inclined to just eat something else and then eat something else. So like it just, that satiety factor plays a role too. So um, don't fear just a carb, especially like right before workout when a banana or a bagel is going to be probably very helpful. Just think of it more of like satiety factor. Yeah. Well, and, and that is one of those instances where, Again, this like the opposite of what we normally recommend because a more like a processed carbohydrate source by itself is going to be probably one of the more appropriate things to eat before, before you work out. out. Just think about eating, <laughs> like I, I referenced, it's like a whole thing of broccoli, right? Like it's really low glycemic index. And you're like, well, these dietitians said to eat glo- low glycemic index carbs uh-huh. if you have prediabetes. But if you go in and you eat a whole thing of broccoli, you're not going to be able to use it as energy. You're going to be gassy throughout your whole workout and you're going to be bloated. <laughs> so, and then you also got to think back to what she was saying is like, you're going to be using those carbs. Like, yes, your blood sugar is going to spike, but at that, that moment you do want sugar in your bloodstream. You do want it readily available for when you need it. So, right. Um, well, and I think carb loading 
a lot of people think that it's just like this friggin' free for all where you in just high like school when I was in track, <laughs> like I would literally the coach would be like carb load and I'm like, we're going home, we're eating pounds of pot stuff. We're that going night. to Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> and then like I remember like his also his advice too is like he literally and then this made absolutely no sense. He told us to carb load the night before, but the day of he said just just nibble on fruit and drink water. And I'm like, I look back to that, I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense and no. guess what I got the worst time of my life <laughs> doing that from like drastically changing my habits and then picking on fruit throughout the day I had the worst time I had no energy and it's oh like because gosh. I didn't have anything to go off of that yeah day. that is so funny well and so yeah carb loading is just one of those things yeah but that so it's pretty like much carb huge. loading is just making sure you have enough carbs in your glycogen yeah. stores. Like, well and different events of course require different, different things amounts. but like if you're just going throughout your day and you want a little snack for a pick-me-up before your workout. I mean, legitimately- If if you're resistance training, you're not depleting your glycogen stores. If you're a marathon runner, you're going to need to have adequate stores of glycogen and and probably have it on you. Yes, during the workout. During strength training, like you're not busting Mm -hmm. out the glycogen. You're doing general health, like you're going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So with that being said, you could eat half a banana before your workout. And, and that will go. probably give you yes. an adequate amount of carbs to use. And so, if you've already been eating throughout the day too, you got to think like you're probably have enough energy too. And right. then a little pick me up before will just be helpful as well. But uh, <laughs> anything else you we needed to go over? Or should I look at the questions or? I, I think this, I mean, it's good. I think that pretty much covered everything we wanted to talk about. So, yeah, I guess I, we can answer this one question because I feel like it ties in. So, what food nutrition source helps with recovery after working out? <gasps> oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> we've been talking about it all day. We're talking carbs and protein. protein. Yes. Those are going to be the two big things. People think like they have to do like a, like somehow a protein shake is like this magic thing. It's just protein. So, whether you eat a meal, so like yeah. a chicken sandwich or whether you're drinking a protein shake and eating a banana mm-hmm. either is fine as long as you're getting 20 to 40 grams of protein and some kind of carb source so um you don't yeah. need to guzzle down a protein shake you can literally just go home and eat a meal yeah pretty soon after well, or a snack and this is an interesting tidbit that i had a little bit of a misconception on so uh, carbohydrates and protein are both very important for post-workout carbohydrates of course are replenishing your glycogen stores that you just used up. But I used to think that carbohydrates had to be there in order to increase muscle synthesis Mm post-workout in addition to protein. So that's actually not the case. Protein alone can stimulate MPS. Yes. And so I you don't need the carbs to shuttle the protein. Yeah. So protein creates that insulin release as well. It's Mm -hmm. not just carbohydrates. So if you just have your protein shake post-workout, you're going to be fine. You'll be fine and you'll get that muscle synthesis growth that you're looking for. Um, however, I, it I is mean, smart to have carbs yes, after as well. But like the main purpose of the carb isn't to use insulin exactly. to open your cell. It's to replenish your energy stores. I mean, exactly. It, carbs might have like a slight help in that, but protein. Well, yeah. I mean, it could increase the, the insulin that's there to do it. But, but protein stimulates insulin. So your cells aren't just going to like not absorb that protein. Yep. It's going to use it. You're going to, it's going to be getting into the cells. And the main purpose of carbs is to replenish your energy stores. Exactly. Um, so both important, but just for but different reasons. There's really no supplement I would recommend other than just getting enough protein and carbs throughout your day. I know there's like some studies on tart cherry juice on being sore. So if you want to make a smoothie and throw that in yeah. there. Um, well, and that's good. And again, that's for like, like marathon runners. Like very and like trying to optimize it. Yeah. Like, um, honestly, like a journal strength training, like you can imagine being sore every once in a while, but like, I mean, you don't absolutely need to use tart cherry juice unless you just want to make like a smoothie or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are studies out there, but I think we're going to close out because <laughs> it, the episode's getting long, but yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to chat about? Well, Hope? yeah. I wanted to ask you about your new Instagram page. I want you to give it a shout out. Oh, the rodeo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why I did that is because I'm um, the Western Sports Foundation's uh, dietitian. And so I realized that my pages are not helpful if a rodeo athlete was to look at it. I mean, it's very generalized, but it's just not going to you target, know, the target them. Athlete. And yeah. so I created um, ad 
rodeo nutrition just um, for those athletes. So after I do a seminar or something like that, they have a resource um, for rodeo nutrition. And one thing I would say on the story is like, it's not like this groundbreaking information. It really is just general nutrition advice with a mix of travel. And they do have really high injury rates depending on the sport. So I'm Mm -hmm. hoping to shed some light on um, just general education, the ability to help your recover from your injuries, what, how much and how you know if you should be eating, whether you have downtime or in season and things like that. And hopefully some healthy tips while traveling as well. So um, you can give that a follow if you are a rodeo athlete or if you know, know someone. Yeah. So yeah, I know a, a guy, his name's Ryan Dirt Eater. I think yeah. he might, he might, he might, he might make a show up because <laughs> he, yeah, we'll just, we're just not even going to talk about him today. <laughs> I also wanted to uh, talk about one kind of new thing that I'm doing. So I am running gym challenges. And if you are a member of a gym or you know a gym that would like to do a nutrition challenge, um, it's six weeks long and it's all about creating a foundation of sustainable nutrition habits. It's not a weight loss challenge. It is not a... Body if your gym challenge. wants to get stronger, better, know how to recover, yes. this is the challenge. So, and it's all about doing it in a sustainable and realistic way. So I've gotten some really good feedback about it so far. Um, so yeah, just hit me up, DM me on Instagram. So or, if you have a gym and you, or you own a gym, or you know someone yeah. owns a gym and you need a good nutrition program, she's got you. She got to hook up. Yeah. And I, I, it's a pretty easy setup. So Yeah. Just message me or email me. My email is hopewellhealthnutrition at gmail.com. And then also, just another thing, we do both offer nutrition coaching. So if you're wanting to work with us one-on-one, all you have to do is um, we link our ads in the show notes. Show notes. So you just have to look at that, follow us on Instagram, and really just support. That just makes us happy. So review or um, ask questions or just share share our podcast with people and we'd really appreciate it. So thank you guys. Um, Episode nine is done and we'll talk to you here in two weeks. All right. That's a wrap. Bye.